for the meditation of our heart. Be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Um, it was a good start to the morning. I got up and I'm backing out of the driveway and I look up and there's a half rainbow. And by the time I got to the church, it was a whole rainbow. And it was just, it was incredible. I hadn't seen one in a long time, so that was a, a good start to the day. So if you were up early enough, maybe you saw it as well. This week has been really good. You know, I've been thinking a lot that this is our, Friday would have been our, was our 15th anniversary as Christ the King. And I thought, I cannot believe it's been 15 years since we came over to Living Waters. And I, I reminded Father Don, he wouldn't remember this, but our last Sunday at Grace, I told him, I said, I'm coming to the new church, but I won't be there next week because I'm down at USF. But I'll be there the following week. I've got to be there. I just want you to know I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm not staying behind. So, and here we are 15 years later. And what a blessing it has been. I want to talk to you today about this reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the big idea is when we come to faith in Christ, we must learn the basics. We cannot be content to stay there, though, because we are called to a deeper faith. We're called to a deeper faith. And that's what I hope for here at Christ the King. When you look at the church in Corinth, they were full of problems and divisions. Because the members really loved the wisdom of men more than they loved the wisdom of God. They liked to be able to explain many subjects, but no one was being changed by this knowledge. Now because human wisdom reflects many different viewpoints, they began to divide and liked to boast about who's leadership, the leadership of various men. And Paul had to be blunt with them, and really he tried to show them in, Corinth, in this letter to the Corinthians the difference between the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God that was being revealed by the Spirit. You know, like I said, Paul was straightforward, because basically he's telling them, you're acting like spiritual babies. You're stuck in your spiritual diapers. Paul was in Corinth and had been teaching them for about a year and a half. And he had preached them and he taught them. But in all that time, they'd never advanced past the basics of babyhood. They were still controlled by the thinking of the flesh. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he said, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sounds pretty simple when you read that. Live by the Spirit, you won't gratify your sinful desires. Don't live by the Spirit and you're going to gratify your sinful nature. And yet it's a daily struggle for all of us to not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so the devil brings to us the attractions and the lure of the world. But he can't make us sin. He can only tempt us. We're the ones who make that choice. Are we going to give in and let him in? Or are we going to stand and keep the door closed and him out of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit? We get to make that choice. And so as it, Paul told these, uh, the church in Corinth, the babies do best on milk. Infants need that. They need milk. They need to start out there. 
But Paul is asking the Christians in Corinth, why are you still sitting here in your diapers needing milk? You should be past that point. And Paul tells us why he knows that this is a problem for them. In verse 3 he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men? He is saying that they have not changed their way of thinking really at all. Because here's the deal, when we rejoice in hope of sharing in the glory of God, that is milk. That is looking forward to the glory coming at the end of life. But when we learn to rejoice in our sufferings because you know that God is working out something in your life that nothing else could do, that's the meat. And that's the hard part. It's easy to say, I'm following Jesus. It's easy to say, I accept him, I've been justified, I'm good. It's another thing when the struggles start coming. I was reminded this week, I said this whole seminary and ordination experience would have been a lot easier if some things hadn't taken place along the way. And that may have made it easier, but I don't think it would have prepared me for things that were to come. You know, it's not been an easy road in a lot of ways. I've had great support from the clergy here, but it's not been an easy road. But I look at those things, and I was talking to Deacon Karen one day this week about something, and she asked me if I was upset about it, and I said, well, not really. I said, because of all the experiences I've had over the last three years in seminary, and what it's gone through to be ordained a deacon and the coming ordination for the priesthood, I said, it doesn't really bother me now. I said, because God put me through it. I didn't want to suffer. I didn't want to go through those things, but it's changed me. I'm not the person I was three years ago because of the things God allowed me to do. And yet if we stay sipping on milk when those hard times come, we kind of say, I'm out. I don't know if I want to do this Christian thing. I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. But see, when we really start to put down deep roots, when the suffering comes, I'm not saying you're going to like it, but you're going to rejoice in it, and you're going to accept it, and you're going to know that God is doing something in you. Because that is growing up as a follower of Christ. And of course, what we just read, Paul says, but if there's jealousy and strife among you, that is the mark of spiritual babyhood, according to Paul where we have followers of Christ who are still babies and have been babies for a while, there's going to be division, there's going to be strife, there's going to be breaking into little cliques and groups within the church. And you know why these divisions happen? They happen because people are too preoccupied with themselves and what they think instead of what God thinks. Or they're too focused on what other people think. And so they join these groups and they start focusing on their gifts and what they can do more than the giver of those gifts. And see, that's something we have to work on. All of us. I think it's a struggle for all of us at times because we, not, we all have an idea of how things should be. You know, I said every Tuesday, Father Don and Father Tom and Deacon Karen and I have a clergy meeting after staff meeting. And we kind of talk about things going on in our individual ministries and things that are going on here at the church and in our lives. And sometimes we have to make decisions in those meetings. And so we'll all share, you know, our perspective on things. And ultimately, a decision will get made. It may not be my decision, or it may not be Karen's decision, or whoever's. But when we leave those meetings, we're never upset with each other. We come out unified. Because the common goal that we have is to glorify God, to follow Christ, and help lead all of you into that deeper relationship. 
You know, we don't come out ever divided. We're a family. And so that's a good thing for us, and I love being a part of this clergy because I have learned so much about what it means to be a Christian leader in the church. In James, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that's a lesson for all of us, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And it's a hard one. I said, you know, yesterday I'm on my way to the church. Actually not. I won't use this example since it was Justin and Lindsay behind me. I was going to pick on them. But no, when you're at a light and someone's in front of you and the light turns green and the person doesn't go, and of course in Ocala our lights are timed so like five seconds and it's back to red again. So if you don't go, as so though there's someone on their phone not paying attention and it's like, ugh, you know, I lose it. That's a really little thing, but how do you respond to little things like that? Do you get all angry about it and upset and have a fit? I mean, sure, beep your horn, let them know it's time to get moving. But, you know, we don't have to have an explosion about it in our car. This week in one of my devotional readings earlier, it talked about a, a pastor of a fairly large church, and he said when he was on his way to, to um, the office one day, someone cut him off in his car. And he said, being the good Christian man that he was, he waited for the opportune moment and he sped around and cut them off a little while later. Well, he said as he got closer to the church, he realized he was the pastor of the church. And so he thought, I don't know if I want to turn into that church because that person knows what I did. And so he ended up driving past the church and losing the guy and coming back. But it's like even in little things like that, how do we respond? It's how do we respond in the little things? How do we respond in the big things that shows our spiritual maturity? And it really does. It's really true. How do we respond in these little situations? You know, just because I'm up here preaching today or just because we sit in this church week after week or we spend a couple hours a week in Sunday school or a Wednesday night class or at youth group, none of that's going to make you a mature Christian. None of that's going to do it. It's just not going to happen. It helps. It's part of the marks of being a Christian. But that's not going to change you if you just come and sit and receive. And even me writing these sermons, if I don't apply it to my life, it really is not going to have any impact on me. In 1 Peter it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, if we're constantly taking in garbage and only occasionally reading the Bible and praying and being in fellowship with other believers, we're not going to grow. We're not going to be changed in any way. You know, I've talked about a few times, and at Gigi and Bernardo's I spoke a couple of weeks ago, is the family unit is the family unit is so important today, and yet society and culture is saying we don't want the family unit. We're trying to break it down and destroy it. And we as the church have to stand up and be, have deep roots in Christ in order to support the families, to help them raise up. I think of Justin and Lindsay getting ready to have a baby. You know, how do we support them in their parenthood? How do we support those with teenagers? 
How do we support grandparents that are raising their grandkids today? I mean, there's so much here of the family unit that we need to help build up, and that's only going to happen when we're taking on meat, when we're taking on solid food. Are we going to be able to support people? You know, I thought a lot when I was writing this about teachers in my life or college professors that had the most impact on me. Was it the ones that stood up at the board and lectured continuously and read off a PowerPoint slide and gave us a test and we wrote back the information and walked out of the room? No. It was the ones that were enthusiastic about the subject they taught and they made us students passionate about it as well. You see, when we're following Christ, we should be passionate about it so that when we share our faith with others, when others see us, they know that there's something different. It's not just that we've been justified by faith in Christ. There's this process of sanctification. That's part of our mission here at Christ the King is walking through the sanctification process together. You know, it reminded me when I was at CF a long time ago, and I got there, and it was like, oh, yeah, you know, you've got to take this speech class. I hated public speaking. Hated public speaking. And I thought, how can I get out of this class? Well, you can't. It's a core class. You've got to take it. So I sign up for it, and, and my dad was a professor out there, so he said, oh, we'll take this lady, Connie Tice. She's good. So I, I signed up for her class, and she was passionate about it. I didn't all of a sudden come to love public speaking, but she had a passion for it. She was a retired speech pathologist. She loved the students. She made us love it. We had to give our speeches. I didn't really like it that much, but I did well. And at the end of the class, I remember she called five or six of us in, and she said, you know, the five or six of you here have so much potential, I'd like you to consider joining the speech and debate team. And I said, oh, there is no way. There is no way. And I remember kind of over that summer, she, she touched base with all of us, and I think, I'm pretty sure she called, and she said, so have you decided yet? We're going to have this meeting, you know, in August when you come back. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I don't know where that came from. It must have been a Holy Spirit moment because I know it wasn't Matthew because I didn't want to do it. But I look at that thing that I really didn't want to do then, and I came to be okay at it, and then I came to enjoy it, and it, God was preparing for what I was going to be doing later in life. And I really didn't have any idea that this is what I'd be doing at that time, standing here. And so I think God uses so many situations that he puts us in and prepares us. And we as Christians, as followers of Christ, there should be nothing more in our lives that we're passionate about than this. This should be the most important thing, our relationship with Jesus Christ and following him. And we should be passionate about it so that when others see us, they know there's something different. You know, we cannot have our faith in Christ spoon-fed to us forever. And yet so many do. We must attend church. And then we also must go home and we have to be in prayer and read our Bibles on our own and study the Word and join small groups because we cannot continue to take junk in when we come to Christ. We have to be changed as a result of that coming to Christ. And that has to permeate all areas and aspects of our life. My devotional that I get emailed to me on Friday was this. It was titled, Growing Deep Roots. And the scripture verse was, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, from Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this, it says, We must begin with a sure foundation, 
In the New Testament, we read that this foundation is Jesus Christ. Our precious Lord Jesus is the living stone chosen by God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul wrote, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. I recall Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, telling about a young man he once met. Dawes had preached on the need for spiritual growth, and the young man came to him after the message and said, Mr. Trotman, I want to grow, and I want to grow fast. I don't want to go through all those things you mentioned tonight, such as Bible study, morning prayer, and Bible reading. He was looking for some way to take a great leap forward and arrive at spiritual maturity overnight. In a microwave society, we keep looking for shortcuts and instant results, but there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. Spiritual growth is slow, but if we meet the conditions, it is sure. Involve yourself in those things that will get your roots down into Christ. The basics of church attendance meditating on the word, prayer, Bible study, and scripture memory will all provide the framework for you to build every day on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. As new Christians, we face two dangers. One is being satisfied that we are saved and never wanting to grow, and the other is wanting to grow too quickly. You know, I really hadn't thought about it too much in that light. And that's true, we do live in a society that wants things instant. Our phones aren't fast enough when we're searching something. If we don't have a good enough signal, we want faster internet. We want the best phone, the best computer. We want everything to be quick and instant. And it's true, I think in a lot of ways, sometimes we want our faith to be that way. And that's not how it is. You have to go through the trials. You have to go through the refining process. You have to be purified. And it's not that much fun. It's just not at times. But every time you come through those, it's always amazing to see what God has done and what God has prepared you for next and how much more impact you can have if you will allow him to walk with you through those times. You know, Franklin Graham said this, he said, in reality, being a Christian isn't just a title we select or church membership. It is a faith in God and his word that transforms our lives to be more like the one we follow, Jesus Christ. And I thought, how true that is. You know, and how should this process work? Well, it does start with us embracing the gospel. That's the milk. That's the basic. That's when we are a baby Christian. And then we start to study and put those truths into action. And then we start to take on more solid food of reading the scriptures, of being, having a prayer life, of joining those small groups. And eventually we get to the point we can teach others. And I'm not saying you're going to go in and start teaching. That might not be your gifting. But you can have an impact on people. You know, this week I was talking to someone and they said, you know, we're not, uh, as an individual, you're not going to go out and change the culture. You can't change the culture. But you can have an impact on one person really well. You can really take someone along beside you and mentor them. And I said, I wish I had this graph and it showed this um, where it was where the, you know, one person ministered to someone else and they came to Christ and then they go out and do it and the multiplier effect and it grows and grows and grows. 
and see what an impact we can have when we're willing to do that and put our faith into practice and teach others about him. You don't have to be in seminary to do it. You just have to start working on putting down those roots in Christ and this being one, the most important thing in your life with eternal consequences. You know, today we live in this society, kind of as I mentioned earlier with the families unit being destructed, but we also live in a society that's focused on happiness, how I feel, how do I feel, and in this book that I read, it talked a lot about that, about how it's now all about how I feel. It's not about the authority of scripture. It's not about what anybody else thinks. It's all about my feelings. And so what happens is the do what happy culture, as I saw on someone had posted on Facebook this week, it said the do what makes you happy culture is so toxic for Christians. We are not called to do what makes us happy. We're called to do what glorifies God. Christianity isn't always sunshine and happiness. It's hard work and dedication to him, not us. So do what glorifies God. And I thought, how true that is today, because we all look for, one, a quick solution to problems, and what's going to make us happy. And it doesn't really matter what anyone else is saying or thinks or if you have to step on somebody to get there if it makes me happy and feel good. And that is so toxic, like this says, for the Christian. Because we are not that way. It's always Jesus first. It's not my will be done. It's his will be done. And I think that's so important for us as we grow in our faith is that we recognize that more and more and more. John MacArthur told his congregation this. He said, I was reading a book entitled New Life by Michael Green. And in the book, he said that a friend of his came to him and explained his attitude towards his newfound faith in Christ. It's rather like a cyclist, he said, who when he climbed a long hill feels as though he should be able to free will down the other side. It's not until he reaches the top that he sees the task has only just begun and that the road winds on with even steeper than the one he just climbed. When people accept Christ, they tend to think it is freewheeling from that point, but then they discover it's only the beginning. How true that is. It's only the beginning when we accept Christ. It's a lifetime. It's a lifestyle. And it should impact all areas of our life and relationships. So friends, the world and the flesh are constantly battling for our allegiance. We're constantly at war. The good news is, is that if we're following Christ, we're on the winning team. But let us not grow content that we are saved. We must also strive for that deeper faith. We must strive to take on the meat. We must go through the slow and sometimes painful process of sanctification and let there not be divisions among us. I believe Christ the King is being called on this 15th anniversary to go deeper, for, our, for all of us to go deeper in our faith. And for that to happen, there's going to be pruning. There's going to be refining. And there's going to be sharpening for all of us as we go through that process. It may not always be fun, but may we not be divided. May we stand together as the body of Christ. One of my favorite verses comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May these things be so at Christ the King. Amen.